Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. If you have Bibles, either a hard copy or an app on your phone, if you want to, Flip to the uh, sixth chapter, uh, I'm sorry, the eighth chapter of St. John's Gospel. That's where our story today comes from. Violence, wrote Alexander Solzhenitsyn, has nothing to cover itself with but lies. Solzhenitsyn was an atheistic communist who, while serving in the Red Army during World War II, was sent to the Gulag for critiquing Stalin in a private letter. While in the labor camp, he reconverted to his childhood faith in Christ through the Russian Orthodox Church, and when after eight years his sentence was lessened to internal exile within the Soviet Union, he began writing as a fierce critic of Soviet communism. His writings spread through the Soviet Union and in the West, and he probably became the most famous Soviet dissident in the world. The horrors that he witnessed and experienced in the Gulag are almost too terrible to speak, but there's no doubt that he was cruelly acquainted with violence. And so when he describes violence in his 1974 essay, Live Not By Lies, we know that he knows what he's talking about. Violence will burst in and bluster, he says, and terrorize and dominate for a while. But it's incapable of sustaining its own energy for very long. It needs lies to prop it up. And lies, he continues, can only persist through violence. Solzhenitsyn is warning us about this relationship, which he had seen personally and knew so well, between lies and violence, violence and lies. The pattern he saw on a societal level of a web of lies propping up a power structure, and when those lies are challenged and that power threatened, violence pathetically being deployed to silence the dissent, that's exactly the story that we see happening and proclaimed to us in today's gospel story. The entire chapter of the story comes from John 8 and is basically one long extended confrontation between Jesus and these challengers of his. They are seeking to trip him up in his words, to silence him for good. And we see this back and forth between Jesus and his challengers. It's not an argument. Okay, argument means two conflicting perspectives, each interacting with each other, pointing out the weak spots of one or both, forcing the other to take account of the strongest spots of both, and uh, eventually progressing toward, hopefully, the objective reality which either perspective may or may not have been aligned with to greater or lesser degree. So a real argument is meant to aim toward the truth. But in this exchange, Jesus' accusers don't show an honestly held but conflicting perspective. They're occupying an opposing position. Listen to what they do. They drag a woman caught in adultery in front of him and basically say, we should throw rocks at her till she's dead because we have a legal case to do this, right? Well, Jesus diffuses that, but then they try another legal trick to discredit Jesus by saying there should be two witnesses to establish the truth of something. But Jesus 
is only witnessing about himself. Therefore, he's not telling the truth. Jesus points out that a truth claim doesn't actually depend on any number of witnesses for its veracity. But again, the people aren't interested in argument here. They're merely trying to silence him. So then Jesus points out their slavery to their condition, and they all bristle and deploy their warped origin myth of all being sons of Abraham and of God, and therefore are free by right. We aren't in bondage to anyone, they say. Your father is the devil, Jesus says back, because he's the father of lies, and that's all that you're doing, lying. So challenged in this way, they try to discredit him, and so to shut him up another way. By saying that he has a demon, he shouldn't be attended to because he literally has an evil lying spirit inside him. Well, God will be the judge, Jesus says. Not something you'd exactly expect a demon to say. But then Jesus, knowing that they're at the end of their tolerance, hopelessly devoted to this inviolable dogmatism and ideology and ready to deploy any number of lies for its defense and even to use violence to the same end, Jesus brings up death, the final threat of violence. And he dismisses death, saying of those who follow his words that they will never see death. Sarcasm, dismissal, mocking follows. Everyone dies, even our own father Abraham died, but your followers won't? Jesus told them, Abraham, has seen what I'm about. He knows what this day is about. He's seen it and he rejoiced. They all reply, you weren't even born 50 years ago. What are you babbling about? You haven't seen Abraham. And here Jesus drops the biggest truth bomb that he has yet. A truth bomb he, without any doubt, knows that they won't be able to handle. He's been telling them this whole time that they can't hear any of his truths because they're not interested in the truth. So here at this point when he says, before Abraham was, I am, ego e me in Greek, it's the Greek translation for the divine name of Yahweh, which means I exist or I am existence. Their lies are now completely impotent to engage with this, to refute it, to challenge it. So they switch to violence. They pick up rocks to start throwing at him. If they had been able to, they would have rushed him and killed him right then and there. But Jesus hides himself and leaves the temple. I'm not going to defend the people or their actions from today's story, but I do want to bring this up. If they hadn't been set purely on opposing Jesus, but had instead tried genuinely arguing with him, what would that have been like? Jesus has still said some very challenging, paradigm-shattering things in this chapter. Things that are not easy to grasp, even if you genuinely believe Jesus to be sane, honest, and good. You could be forgiven for still thinking he was just sorely mistaken in his theology and philosophy. But if you were in honest dialogue with him, like Nicodemus was, um, Jesus would condescend to your weakness. He would meet you where your hangups are and gently lead you by the hand to overcome them. Because this man, Jesus, he healed people from diseases that had before been completely incurable. He fed multitudes from a sack lunch. 
He calmed storms with his voice. He walked on water and he raised up dead people. All while insisting all glory go to his heavenly father and not getting paid for anything he was doing but living a poor life on the road. This man must be attended to. His words must have the dignity of at least being honestly argued with. So yes, Jesus is challenging, even dangerous, but he's also good. And the people in today's story missed all of that because they're married to lies and violence. Jesus continued to engage with them up to the point where their lies were extinguished and their violence was called up. But then he hid himself, not to avoid death, he was born to die, but just to make sure the timing was right. His time had not yet come, St. John tells us. So, death it is. It's certain now. Thus, the character of the church changes today, as I'm sure you've seen. We're now in Passion Tide, the season which boldly proclaims that Jesus is going to die. He hid himself from the eyes of those who were unable to perceive his truth. He is veiled today from our eyes. Why? Because we're unable to perceive his truth? Well, to some degree or other, yes. We don't fully see him as he is, as St. Paul said. So these veils remind us of our inherent limitations, but also any extra limitations our own sin may be causing us. It's a wake-up call for us, these veils, to purify our minds and our hearts this season so that when these veils come off, we perceive Christ anew with increased clarity. The lesson from today's story and the lesson being enacted liturgically all around us now is a lesson we need to take with us out of the world, out of this building and into the world too. When at the end of this liturgy, we're dismissed to go be little Christs in the world. Do you know that's what Christian means? Little Christ? We, like Solzhenitsyn, will be able to see this tag-teaming of lies and violence out there. We're to handle it like Jesus. Refute the lies. Don't acquiesce to them. Don't entertain them. And if violence is ever deployed against us, and God help us, I can't guarantee that it won't eventually be. Let's do our best to avoid it, if it be God's will, but equally, if it be God's will. Let's willingly take up that cross. The people today mocked Jesus by saying, it's absurd that his followers would never taste death. But that's not what Jesus said. He said his followers would never see death, theoreo, to gaze on, behold. We'll certainly taste death. Even Jesus, according to Hebrews, came to taste death for all of us. He drank that cup to the dregs. He left the temple that day, that temple of lies at the end of our story, that he might enter into the true holy of holies, as our epistle reading from Hebrews said, as the ultimate sacrifice, having tasted death for us. And we likewise will have to taste death, but once we do, just like Jesus did, having passed that threshold, we will discover that we are standing on top of death but we're in fact trampling it under our feet, and thus, we don't see it. Let's live by truth, brothers and sisters, the truth named Jesus, 
and sap violence and death of all its power. That is our Passion Tide mission. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.